Recovery Elevator, episode 182. Ooh, I don't feel like I had a one rock bottom moment. I think I had about a million of them. And it was just every time I, I would wake up feeling ashamed. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, it's been 3.87 years since my last drink. On today's podcast, we've got Chris. He's 37 years old, from Surprise, Arizona, and he's been sober for 96 days. In Chris's interview, we cover some topics that I wish I could explore in more depth. In fact, that's the same with all the interviewees on the podcast. As soon as I hit stop, I feel like I could create another podcast episode just about the interview. Well, here's the good news, guys. There's actually an offshoot to the Recovery Elevator podcast called After the Elevator, which I think is so cool. I mean, seriously, how cool is this? It gives me goosebumps even to think about it. I'm honored. I'm flattered. I think it's just incredible that people that I've interviewed on this podcast or people that I have touched in my journey doing the podcast have since gone on and started their own podcast. We've got Brandy, who I interviewed in episode 55. She has a podcast. We've got Trisha, interviewed here in episode 100. She started the Recovery Happy Hour. And then we've got After the Elevator with Garrett, episode 124, and Tamara on episode 171. Talk about shredding the shame, guys. This is so cool. So if you want to go one step deeper with the interview today with Chris, you can do so on the podcast After the Elevator with great personalities, Tamara and Garrett. I also feel like I need to button up my game considering there's a podcast covering my podcast. No pressure, Tamara Garrett. Thanks, guys. Guys, I just launched a free five-day video course. You can go to recoveryelevator.com right on the front page and sign up for that course. You're going to get a video delivered to your email box each day for five days to get you through the five days using the same tips and tricks that I used, and I know you can do it. And before we get to our topic today, let's hear from my favorite resource in recovery, Cafe RE. The most important thing I've learned while doing the Recovery Elevator podcast is we can't do this alone. Believe me, I tried for over two years and it was painful. So here's the good news. With Cafe RE, you get access to a confidential and unsearchable Facebook group 24 hours a day. There, you can get instant accountability and genuine connection with others who also wish to lead a life without alcohol. In Cafe RE, you'll find that being sober is a tremendous opportunity and not a sacrifice. For $14 a month, you can join the conversation, be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, attend online meetups, attend in-person Cafe R meetups, and participate in book club. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I hope to see you there. Just to give you the heads up, Cafe RE will be going from $14 to $19 a month starting September 1st. So be sure to get in before the price increase. And depending on the number of new signups, we may be launching a third group before the forum even launches. I'm so excited for what's happening in the community right now. Really cool stuff. Okay, let's get started. I'm currently reading a book by the author Joe Dispenza titled You Are the Placebo, and I wanted to share a couple interesting things with you. Did you know the mind has an average of 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day, and they're all 100% true? Yeah. Every single one of them, including the thought that your neighbor is out to sabotage your garden. Even that one, 100% true. Cool. Now that we've covered that, let's hear from Chris. Wait a second here, Paul. They can't all be true. 
60 to 70,000 thoughts? Are you serious? That can't be right. And there's no way they're all true. Well, that is right. Well, at least the 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day part, them all being true, hell no, they are not all true. In fact, most of them come from the unconscious mind and the majority of them are not true. Studies show that by the age of 35, 95% of these thoughts are unconscious and only 5% are conscious. That means that 95% of our lives are being governed by unconscious thought. That means, and let's average we have 65,000 thoughts per day, that 61,750 thoughts are preconditioned thoughts based on past experiences that then lead to emotional chemical reactions in our bodies that run our lives. So on the other hand, with the other 5% of our conscious thoughts, we are only in control of 3,250 of our thoughts per day. You've heard me say on this podcast before that we can't think our way out of our EDR or enhance dopamine receptors, our drinking problem, and that's why. 61,750 versus 3,250. You don't need to be a math genius to know that one number is way bigger than the other number. You're basically paddling upstream. You've got a paddle, but your paddle is that stick after you eat a corn dog. If some things aren't changed, you've got a long ride ahead of you. It's also like the Denver Broncos in Super Bowl 21, 22, and 24. They didn't stand a chance, especially against the 49ers. So how do we get around this? Well, I'll cover this shortly, but first, let's take a look at how the brain works. Because the brain acts on the body's feelings, by generating the same thoughts that will produce the same emotions, it becomes clear that redundant thoughts hardwire your brain into a fixed pattern of neurocircuitry. This is how powerful just one of the average of 65,000 thoughts that we can have each day can be. A negative thought, just one, can then turn into a mood. A prolonged negative mood can then create an uncomfortable chemical reaction and create an uncomfortable feeling or an emotion. This continued emotion can thus create a state of being. The unhealthy state of being can thus create a person or personality, go even further an identity, a self, and the ego. One single, unexamined thought, and that's the key word, unexamined, has the potential to drastically change our lives. So eventually, when this loop of feeling and thinking, and thinking and feeling, has been operating long enough, our bodies memorize the emotions that our brains have signaled to our bodies to feel. This cycle has been so ingrained that it creates a familiar state of being. Just like I mentioned, it's who we are. Even if this familiar state of being is unhappiness, sorrow, or despair, our bodies actually feel comfort in this state of discontent, and any attempts thoughts, or actions to create a happier life can create uncomfortable feelings. Sounds ludicrous, but it's true. Any attempt to better our life, including thoughts, will make us feel uncomfortable because we are leaving our sorrow and despair. It's crazy, I know. These emotions are nothing more than chemical records of past experiences, which are driving our thoughts and are being played out repeatedly. As long as this continues, we are constantly living in the past. Our thinkings are how we feel, and how we feel is how we think. Body and mind are connected. What we experience is a merger of thoughts and feelings. If we continue on this path, our minds and bodies are already on a predetermined destiny based on unconscious past experiences. To change requires being greater than the body and all the emotional memories. That is to no longer be defined as the body in the mind. The last few minutes of dialogue doesn't even begin to cover just how powerful the human brain is, but I wanted to plant a seed of what I'm probably going to be exploring more in the upcoming podcast episodes. 
So if a single unexamined negative thought can lead the wheels to completely flying off in our lives, how do we stop this? What's something we can do right now? First off, you have to trust. Ah, that was a purposeful pause. You thought the higher power thing was coming. Ah, that was your body's reaction that was already preconditioned to that one as well. So no, well kinda. You need to trust that your body knows best. You've got millions of years of evolution working behind you. Do you think your dome knows better than that? The answer is no. You need to trust that your body, your heart, and your soul already know what to do. And the good news is, they already do know what to do. Just think of a time when you had a near car wreck, or you had to act suddenly without thinking. Your body already knew what to do. You did it perfectly, and you didn't even think. You just acted. We've heard stories of people rushing to emergency scenes and lifting like thousands of pounds. That's them not even thinking. Their body knew what needed to happen. It created the chemicals in their body and boom, it just happened. So that's what we need to trust. The next thing is to quiet the mind. You might be saying to yourself, okay, more than happy to quiet those negative thoughts, Paul. Me and you are on the same page. But I want you to quiet the mind, all of it. The negative thoughts and the positive thoughts. Let me share you a quick anecdote of how I squashed a positive thought. I'm writing a book. I'm terrified to say it. This is actually the first time I've announced it, but I'm writing a book and I hope to have it come out sometime early in 2019. Anyways, I'm walking through the Denver International Airport waiting for my plane to take off and I walk past a bookstore. I instantly imagine my book on the shelf and like the top selling books on that shelf and I had to stop that thought. But it felt good, right? You might say, wait, Paul, how come you're stopping that thought? It felt good to imagine my book on that shelf. So why was it important that I squash that thought? Well, first off, it would be great if my book became a top seller, a bestseller. That's fantastic. And of course, I want those things to happen. But that thought would have led me down a road that would have put the bar way too high. And in my mind, the only way for the book to be a success were to be if I'm walking in the Denver International Airport and I see my book in the top five bestsellers list. Maybe could happen, but for me to hinge the success of my book on that is not healthy. In fact, for me, just publishing the book enough, that's it. Simply accomplishing a goal of writing a book on sobriety, that's it. Nothing more needs to be accomplished. Alcohol almost killed me, and here I am writing a book five years later? That's really cool in itself. So I needed to squash that even positive thought and emotion before it put me in a really bad place down the road. So how do we do this? Well, we need to pick a safe word. And mine is, well, not too creative, but it's just stop. It's not a harsh thwack, but a gentle stop. This exercise can look like meditation, but it's much easier to practice at all hours of the day. So start off for just a couple minutes while seated and wait for a thought to arrive. When it does, gently use your safe word and just say, stop. You can say, calm. You can say, center. You can say, nothing. Whatever your safe word is, just stop the thought. For me, this exercise was critically important while driving. Every time a thought came to mind, any and every thought, I said, stop. Sometimes I said it out loud, but I had to say, stop. At first, I was saying, stop every three seconds, then every five seconds, then it got to every 10 seconds, and then 20, and then 30. And then some cool things started to happen. I started to feel something warm inside. You might be saying to yourself, well, Paul, were you wearing a parka? Did you just eat a spicy taco? No. I started to feel a calm where fear usually resides. 
I began to notice things that I had previously missed, like the colors of the trees in my yard. I found myself staring at a sunset for 35 minutes the other night, and I only had to use a safe word a handful of times. I noticed the air was filling deeper recesses of my lungs, and it felt different. I noticed the sound of running water by a stream rivaled any of my favorite Third Eye Blind songs. I know, I know, sounds crazy, but it's true. This one's kind of funny. I even noticed one day while driving, I had rows of cars behind me because I wasn't even driving the speed limit. I noticed that the muscles in my back told me how to stretch so I could release years of pent-up energy. I was moving slower throughout my day, and I was surprisingly accomplishing more. So I encourage you to quiet the mind. Your heart is pulling you in the right direction. It's important we quiet the mind and follow. Okay, enough out of me. Let's hear from Chris. Chris, how are you? I'm good, Paul. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Chris, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? I've been sober for 96 days. Boom. Nice job. We're approaching triple digits. That's got to feel good. Yeah. Feels great. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Nice job. And uh, Valentine's Day looks like is your sobriety date of this year. Anything specific about that date? No, not at all. I think it was just jumping back on, on the horse and getting to it. There we go. And before we get any further, Chris, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, do you have a family, and what do you like to do for fun? Sure. I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland. I moved out to Arizona, Surprise, Arizona, about four years ago. I'm married with two kids, a foreign exchange student from Spain who's about to leave two weeks, have two dogs, and for fun, I've been in a couple bands. I kind of slowed that down now to concentrate on my business. So my new hobby is uh, a motorcycle I just bought uh, a couple months ago. So I'm just kind of riding around on that, getting some training under my under my belt. Nice. And what what kind of like a dirt bike or, or motorcycle like street bike? Uh, yeah, it's old. It's a 1986 Suzuki GS450L Cruiser. It's Sweet. pretty much a glorified scooter. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> there you not go. Not Harley, but, but yeah, it that's awesome. What it is? It's a project. Right? There you We're go. not drinking. Yep. Good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. And, and you're 37. Is that what you said before I hit record? 37 years old? Yes. Perfect. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about the podcast title, Recovery Elevator. You know, what was it that, that, that made you decide that maybe alcohol is not right for me in life? Pretty much, I could not let uh, the grip of alcohol just had a hold on me. And it really freaked me out. I got to a point where I just couldn't stop drinking, but I was conscious that I was, you know, drinking and I knew I had to stop, you know, for health reasons, family life, uh, anything important to me, my business, it was affecting everything. So I had to, I knew the time was up. My time was up for drinking. The party was over and I needed to do something about it. Yeah. And and let's back it up a little bit and you can go as far back as you want, you know, when, when you started drinking or you can take us like when you first started to realize it was a problem. Yeah. Give some history. Yeah, so the first time I realized it was a problem that really hit me, gosh, I think it was about 10 years ago, my wife was out with some friends, probably at a bar or something, so I was home with the kids, and they were really little, but they were, I put them to sleep, and I think, I, yeah, I was drinking, I think I had like a six-pack or something, ran out of the six-pack, and the liquor store is literally like three blocks up the street, and I just quickly just locked the door, got my car, drove up there, grabbed some more beer and came back. And then when I cracked that first beer, it was just, I don't know, something hit me like 
wow, like, what if I got a DUI right then? Who would have taken care of my kids? And yeah. it, it totally freaked it totally freaked me out. And I was like, wow, I, I put alcohol over my children, you know, more important in front of my children than it, than it should be. So, yeah, I guess we can uh, just glaze over the aha moment question in the rapid fire round because that that's that's a good, <laughs> that's a big one right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I wasn't like smashed, but it's still it, do, it doesn't matter. It's a stupid thing to do and just really mess with my head and. And that's when I, I asked a friend who was in recovery what he did to to, to get cleaned up. So sure, and that's and, when it started. And so that you're age 27 and you're 37 now. Fill in, yeah, give us some details about the the past decade. Yeah, so like I said, I asked my friend. He was a singer in my band, and he was in NA for uh, some pills and heroin problems. And he had been clean, I think it was something like five or six years. And so he told me a little about it and invited me out. He had a bunch of friends that he would go out to dinner with afterwards that were all sober. So I went to a couple of meetings and um, it was really cool. They had a, some really good speakers and um, I went, I, I did that for about a month and I, I would get like 30 days and just crash. I don't know why, maybe it was something with the number 30. It was like an accomplishment and then I would just mm-hmm. kind of throw it away and start over and repeat the cycle. And at the time I was also working two jobs since my, my kids were really young. I worked at a bar as a bar back, which wasn't good. So that was a whole downward spiral because I got into hard liquor because it was easier to sneak around than holding a beer. So the bar or the bartenders would sneak me drinks like all night. You know, I'd work like an eight or 10 hour shift on, uh, on the weekends and it was just party central. Yeah, it just got worse and worse, just harder alcohol. Um, and there were mornings where I'd wake up and I'd have to call the other bar backs to make sure everything was locked up. I didn't do anything stupid. Didn't get fired or anything, but everything was fine. You know, it's kind of a crazy high-functioning alcoholic. Yeah, that was probably the worst of it when I was working at the bar. It was just nonstop, you know, balls to the wall, drinking. <laughs> I know a little <laughs> bit about working in a bar as well, Chris. <laughs> yeah, when that, you have access to it in front of you, it's... <laughs> game on yeah they're like no soul merging happens inside that environment it just it's just impossible for the heart and soul to do any any chatting in a bar no nah, you're pretty much yeah you're pretty much just dead inside just going through the motions yeah that's tough and, and so when did you get out of it it was taking its toll on my body i mean just lugging cases of beer around and um i think it was after three years we were we were better we were uh financially off better off and i was just like i can't do this anymore i gotta you know i need a break from my body just the late nights and getting up early for my other job so i quit that and just stuck with my my main full-time job nice 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 and um and yeah when uh when did you start to see some traction was it was it your first time you know 96 days ago was it your first attempt at getting sober was there attempts before that there were just small attempts to moderate limiting the weekends switching to wine because I don't like wine. So I would just try to drink that, but you know, I'm an, I yeah. pour myself a glass and, just, and drink it like beer, you know? And I'm like, it would take a little longer for the buzz to come on. But then when it did, it just kind of hit me all at once. And I would pretty much be blacked out yeah. pretty quick, you know, throwing, throwing a couple beers on top of that too. And then, yeah, when we moved out to Arizona, I thought the geographical move would, uh, we'd move out here. And my goal was, um, get in shape, start a new life. And it was kind of like the complete opposite. It was just loneliness, depression, because I didn't know anybody, uh, anxiety because I had to start a new job. So I just drank harder and harder. And then I tried to get into fitness again, and I got into the whole 
kind of a, an obsession with working out and figuring, oh, I could earn my dreams. You know, I'd work out really hard during the week, and then when Friday would come, it was, it was game on. And that lasted a good 30, 40 days at a time. And it was just to keep, I would just keep repeating the cycle over and over. So, and Chris, um, there's a lot of people that can relate to what you just said about earning the drinks. I went to a time in my 20s where I was like fighting genetics. I weigh like 175 right now. I was 200 pounds or like 205 at times and where I would just like mm-hmm. punish myself in the gym and then I would just get shit-faced at night. And it was like this psychological battle where like, oh, yeah, I definitely – I definitely lifted enough weight today that I that I can drink tonight. And I've heard the stories about like runners, you know, they run like the long, like super painful five to ten miles in the day, and then drink all night. It's just exhausting. So I bet it feels good to get out of that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and even even in the thick of, of working out, I would research articles about the effects of alcohol on your you know your body if you're if you're working out if it's good for you. How much can I drink and I mean, you could just find anything you want to agree with your opinion. Yeah. Some of them would be like, oh, yeah, you know, two glasses of wine a night, so it's good for your, your blood and, and this and that. You know, if you're working out. And so it's like, oh, okay, you know, as long as they don't go overboard. Which, <laughs> Chris, course, what, always, what they don't say is, uh, is that the fruit juice in the wine is what's good for you, not the alcohol. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sneaky. That, uh, that half a percent of juice. Yeah, exactly. And uh, actually, comment on the geographical cure. I don't think everybody knows what that is and, and what you were expecting before you moved to Arizona and what actually played out. Yeah, so my wife got a, a, an all-paid like, like a scholarship to go to law school, and we had about three months to pack up and get out here because the semester was going to start. So it was very chaotic and exciting, too, because we're going to just kind of start over in a place where nobody knew us. All the we can leave all the negative crap behind and just have a fresh start. And then yeah, you get get here. I got to work real, really quick. Probably like four days after we moved, I started working full time and trying to get comfortable. Didn't really drink too much, but then you know anxiety sets in and and you don't know anybody. You're alone. You're bored. And I just turned to alcohol because it it you know killed the boredom and made things interesting. And you know until the next morning. Yeah, I've yet to meet anybody, including for myself, that the geographical cures, you know, picking up, moving to another location with hopes that you're drinking won't come with you on the plane or the car or whatever. It's just, it always follows you. Yeah. And then when you do find friends, alcohol is the icebreaker and you end up surrounding yourself with a bunch of people that drink too. So it just feels normal again. And you don't actually get to go through what you planned out to, to do, which was try to get healthy and, you know, better yourself. Yeah, and and Chris, what would you consider to be your rock bottom moment? Ooh, I don't feel like I had a one rock bottom moment. I think I had about a million of them, and it was just every time I I would wake up feeling ashamed, maybe having a huge fight with the wife, or just a regrettable decision I made that night. I mean, it was just tons and tons of them piled up. Um, but but not a I don't really have a rock bottom specifically like you know a DUI or going to jail or anything like that so yeah, and Chris that's that's a common answer on the podcast I had a couple that were you know more significant than others but at the end of the day my rock bottom moment was just a string of being sick and tired of being sick and tired of just a hamster wheel is that similar yeah yeah and then and just the fear that I, I felt that I couldn't get out of the grips of alcohol and and that really scared me you know so, I, so, I wanted to quit so bad, but but it wouldn't let me. Yeah, know? I would just say comment a little bit more about that—the fear of being in the grips of alcohol. What what did that feel like? And can you think of a specific time? 
Yeah, it wasn't too long. Like a couple months ago, um, before these last couple of big runs, it would just be, you know, like a Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday night. And I didn't even feel like I, I would come home from work and just not even feel like drinking. But I would just immediately go to the fridge, crack a beer. And then it was like, oh, OK, you know, this is this is good, whatever. Not too bad. And then eight beers later, I'm sitting there like, why am I doing this to myself? Mm-hmm. You know, again. Oh, well, you know, I'll just finish this week out and I'll start over Monday would be my mentality. Yeah. Let me just get through the, the week and the weekend. I'll start over Monday. Yeah. And maybe take a take a day off here or there, but then, yeah, just go right back to it, you know? Yeah, so what uh, what changed on, on Valentine's Day? Yeah, so February 14th, 2018, 96 days ago. What changed? And what, and what, what uh, have you been doing? Walk us through that. Sure. So before that, in the Cafe Ari group, there was a group we started in, uh, it was called the Dece- December 1st group. And we, a bunch of us committed to, to just getting through the month of December. And I think one, uh, me and like maybe one or two other people made it through and just watching everyone kind of fall off of it. Uh, by the end, I was like, oh, well, I made it. So, well, everyone else, you know, fell off. I, I can have a beer. It's not going to hurt me. And, and then it was <laughs> you, probably you another. <laughs> yeah, I, I earned my, my drink. And, um, yep. So, and then, uh, yeah, it just, it was like another hard relapse for about a month and a half or so. And I was like, I've got, I've got to do this. I've got to get back up on it. And then I started again. And this time I had researched a medicine called Cambo and I'm friends with, uh, this few like kind of traveling shaman that, that take it around the world and do ceremonies. And I messaged one of them and I said, and I had previously done ayahuasca a few times, and I said, hey, man, I've done ayahuasca a few times. I'm, I'm really fighting alcoholism bad. Just tell me, what, what can I do? And all he wrote was Cambo. And I said, okay. And I researched it, watched a couple of testimonial videos on YouTube, found some podcasts, uh, read some articles, went on the International Cambo site, just just. I mean, immerse myself in it, and it's it's intense. I mean, looking at it from the outside, it looks pretty insane. And I I found a practitioner in my area and talked to her about it a little bit. Felt comfortable. It felt like a perfect situation for me. And she also said a lot of people had used it to, to fight alcoholism and other addictions. And so I signed up and set a date with her. And that date was on my birthday on the 25th of February. Wow. And, and, and Chris, we're going to get into what Cambo is. But listeners, this is an important part of this podcast interview. This is, a, this is the time when you're, you're, the guardrails of your internal reality, a.k.a. the ego, are going to, are going to pump the brakes. They're going to say, stop. This can't be right. And you don't even know what Cambo is, right? And you know, I'm familiar with plant medicine, ayahuasca, like I'm <laughs> referred to episode 170, but I remember when I first heard this from Chris, like that was on my immediate reaction, Cambo, like, no, 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 that, that, if it didn't fit into yoga, meditation, healthy, you know, healthy eating, diet, exercise, AA, smart recovery, if it didn't fit in that basket, then it's not recovery. And, and so, and, and I'm wrong, I'm wrong. It's really fascinating stuff. And so I encourage you from here on out, just, just move forward with an open mind. Um, and I haven't done Cambo, but tell us what it is. And it sounds crazy. But again, who am I to say that, it's, that, Chris, this is your journey. Who knows your brain better than you? Not me. Who knows your journey better than you? Not me. And you need to do you. Okay, so tell us what Cambo is. 
Sure. Uh, Cambo is a venom of, I think it's a Sonoran frog, or it could be a, a frog from the Amazon. One of the two. There's two different, you know, there's a couple different frogs. This one, particularly, they scrape the venom off of the frog and it dries out. <clears throat> and then uh, what the practitioner does is take a tiny little stick. It looks like a piece of an incense stick, like the wooden part. Kind of lights the tip of it, it's, you know, so it's pretty hot. And just does five little marks on your arm and then applies the, the frog venom uh, one at a time, one dot at a time onto the arm. Because you, it, the burns have to break the skin because the venom goes into the fatty tissue. And it basically feels like a, a little tattoo sting, like nothing, nothing bad, uh, very tolerable. And so she applies one dot at a time and uh, your body starts to heat up. You get really flushed. At least this is my experience and the experience I, I read and heard about from other people. There's no, I didn't have any visions or anything like that. It's more of a, a body feel. Um, so you get really, really hot. I'm sitting down on the floor. I've got a five-gallon bucket in front of me because you do purge. You drink two liters of water before you do all this, and you fast a day before. And what it does is it basically is just a giant purge of everything negative inside you. You get a little disoriented, and I just held on to the bucket for dear life and just puked out all the water. And while I was doing it, all of a sudden I felt kind of a sharp pain in my left abdomen, and I saw part of my abdomen kind of rise up like a, not a bubble, but like kind of a bulge and started slowly moving to the center of my stomach and going up. And I was looking down at it and the practitioner asked, oh, it looks like you have some blockage there and it's working its way out. Whoa. And at the time, you know, that's crazy. You know, it sounds crazy even to me, but it felt like something moving through my stomach, going up. It stopped at my sternum. And then I just took a huge purge into the bucket, and that was the last purge I had. Push the bucket away. I'm sweaty. And, and that, then I kind of start cooling down, and I told her, you know, there's music, nice music playing, and, you know, she, she sings a little bit. And then I lay down. She put some blankets on me. I was like, I just need to, to chill out for a moment. For about five minutes, after five minutes, I was back to normal, but with the most peace of mind I've ever had in my entire life. And, it, yeah, it just felt like, anything negative or anything that was blocking me mentally, physically had been removed. And since that day, I did an ayahuasca ceremony later that evening. And since that day of doing both of those things, I, my craving and the obsession of not, uh, the obsession of obsessing over not drinking has vanished completely. And this has been my longest sobriety run yet. Because of, I, I contribute it to that. Yeah, and Chris, like the bulge in your abdomen, whether it happened or not, it doesn't matter because in your mind, yeah. it it did, and that's that's all that matters. Mm -hmm. um, and Chris, like I'm I'm a human being, and my my recovery world was was rocked after I did the plant medicine ceremonies, and and mm -hmm. I'm still I'm still like, dude, it's a frog, like that didn't happen. And again, like who the f am I to say that? That's and I've never done it. Uh, that's really cool. And incredible. Yeah. And, and I'm going to like, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you some not really trick questions, but if the craving sure. to alcohol has really gone away and if alcohol is just a symptom of our problems, have you noticed any other changes since this, since this, uh, you know, experience that have improved that don't have anything to do with alcohol? Does the question make any sense? Sure. Yeah. Immediately when you said, when you asked me that, uh, I thought of like 
everyday. Now you're always going to have stress and problems, uh-huh. but they seem to roll off me a lot quicker. I don't. I think I what I learned from that is to not absorb as much or any negative energy that I can. You know, um, anything negative coming at me, don't take it. You know, super personal. Don't hold it inside you and bottle it up. You know, or else it's it's going to affect other things in your life, physically, spiritually, mentally. Mm-hmm. I think it's just good to let more things roll off you, and that's kind of what I what I, what I got out of it. You know, to relax a little more, enjoy myself a little more. Yeah. Wow, I'm I'm happy for you, Chris. I'm I'm happy for you, and, and listeners. Uh, Chris was part of my recovery portfolio, my recovery network for a long time. Chris has been in the cafe groups for a while and, and you know, the direction of the podcast is not going to change. Like I've already known Chris. I didn't send out like a blanket email. Hey, if you've had experience, like come on the podcast, I've already known him. And the funny thing is that, that Chris actually planted, he like pre-lit the, uh, you know, pre-lit the, 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 the dynamite in the groups. I had booked my retreat arrhythmia and then like two, and there, there was like a two month break right away. But like two months after booking, I see Chris put this post in the group about plant medicine and I'm just like, Oh shit. Oh shit. Um, and it was kind of like people didn't know what there was people. I mean, to be honest, Chris, people, they, they didn't know what it was. Like they just, just like, well, okay. Or you do you. Um, yeah, that's just, that's just profound stuff. But I also want to chat with you. Like you didn't, you, you also didn't say like, okay, like I'm, I'm getting sober, bring it on Cambo and ayahuasca. Like what else did you try? Did you do AA and what else, what else worked for you? Yeah, I, I did AA. There's only one AA group in my area. And, uh, I, I just, I really didn't sit or connect in the group. It was a little overly religious. When I first came in, one of the old timers, he's probably in his late sixties, immediately got confrontational with me. And I hadn't even said a word. He just brought up, you know, you're not going to like it here. It's religious. And, and then, you know, I know you're not a Christian. And I was like, Whoa, that's weird. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very strange. I've never had that happen to me. So that rubbed me the wrong way. But I mean, I talked to a few other people after the meeting who were very, very nice. And, I just, I knew I didn't fit, you know, into that group. And around that time was kind of, I think that was when I first started Cafe RE Blue and was just kind of, I'm a real introvert and it takes me a really long time to warm up to people. And I just slowly just started liking the, the online group more and more. And it fit me better for my schedule, for schedule reasons, because I'm busy. I run my own business, married with two kids. I can't just run out the door you know, three times a week to go to a meeting when there's so much to take care of. So Cafe RE, not, I'm not being paid to say it, but it fit my, you know, it was perfect for me and it fit my schedule and that, that helps with my recovery. Now, now with the Cambo and the plant medicine, yeah, it wasn't like I decided to get sober and then wanted to just go ahead and do that. It was, I was just so desperate and nothing else seemed to work. I felt like I tried everything. I moderated, cut back and, I, I just didn't care. It was just like, if I got to puke in a bucket and shit myself and it gets me sober, so be it. You know, if I got to put some frog poison on my arm and, and it helps, awesome. I, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm going big or going home. You know, if it, if it saves my life, let's, let's do it. I, you know, it, it's, I'm just thinking like just the insanity and the craziness of the disease called alcoholism. I'm guessing the, you know, the remedy, the, the treatment is going to be just as insane and crazy. And that might take the form of dried up frog's venom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I have, I have no idea. Yeah, I just got to a point, you know, I, I just didn't care what people said. If, if, it, if it got me off alcohol, you know, I, I don't care. You can say what you want about it. And, and that's where my mind was. You know, I know it's in my heart and 
and what my intentions were. And I'm glad I did. I, I don't regret it at all. Ditto. I was in a rough spot, Chris. I was in a rough spot, man. <laughs> and it, yeah, and yeah. it worked. And so that's that's what we got to do with, with with for us. Um, and, and Chris, what's your what's your most proud proudest moment in recovery? I would say it wasn't on this run of sobriety. It was probably my last. I think I, I got to around forty or fifty days, and uh, took my son to a Metallica concert. It was his first concert, and I was sober the whole time, and it was the, the coolest thing in the world. Knowing that, you know, first I wouldn't jeopardize his safety by drinking and we just we had a blast took tons of videos and pictures and was just probably the, the best one of the best nights of my life with my son being sober best dad of the year award goes to chris holy shit that's awesome all right all right <laughs> cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, uh, and what's on your bucket list in sobriety chris you know just continue to travel down this the path of sobriety help other people offer any information I can. I love the kind of the plant medicine world and what that's bringing to the world of addiction and helping combat that. And it's so new, especially with all the research that's being done. I think there's something to it and I know it works for me and, and I'm not trying to push it on anyone, but it's just another, another door for people to open to help them in their recovery, you know? So I just want to continue to to travel along that path if, if needed, you know, if I, if I continue to struggle with sobriety down the road. Yeah, you know, it's just a whole other path of options. That, that's it. That's it. And yeah, thing, like, yeah. I'm not pitching for it. For me, it's kind of like a last resort type type of treatment, but whatever. It's out there. But, you know, before we get the rapid fire round, so sure. I, like I said, I knew Chris and I did not do a post. Hey, if you've had experience with this, come on a podcast. Cause no, I mean, podcast is going to look a lot similar, but I've actually ordered shirts from Chris and Chris has a screen printing business. When I can see therapists, like I wish I would love to see somebody in Bozeman, a small town that was also in recovery. I can't, but I'm really glad that I can order. I have an arcade. It's awesome. It's called big sky Arcadia. And we got these kick-ass shirts coming my way from Chris. So tell us, I know you didn't want to talk about this, but I want to plug your business, man. I really do. I want sure. I want you to come out about this, and there will be listeners that, and they can order from out of state, right? Like, how? Where's the website? And, yeah. And how can they find you? Sure. So I started this company three years ago. Actually, it's almost four years ago. When I moved out to Arizona, I found work at a screen printing place, and I worked that for about six months, and then I started at my shop in my house, and it got to a point with within another six months. Um, it, I got so busy at home that I had to quit that job and, and do my business full-time. It's called Saguaro Screen Printing. It's spelled S-A-G-U-A-R-O, Screen Printing. Yeah, so we got so busy that my wife had to quit her job to help me. And since then, we've been just going strong and, and growing exponentially every year. Yeah, and, and working with Usray, I've, I've met so many cool people doing the business. So, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's another passion for my life as well because I've been doing it since... 2001. So com. S-A-G, how do you spell it again? Yeah, S-A-G-U-A-R-O. Screen printing. And the website. Or is it screenprinting.com? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Saguaro and we're on, we're on Facebook. Yep. And Facebook.com backslash Saguaro Screen Printing. Good. And good. Instagram. Yeah, and it's good to know that you're going to get shirts sent your way without beer spilt on it and stuff like that. Good stuff. <laughs> good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions in 30, 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? I am. What was your worst memory from drinking? Worst memory would have to be, man, this is embarrassing to even tell, but uh, just a huge blowout with the wife one night, and I 
ended up throwing a few glasses at the wall, not at her, but just out of anger, smashing them against the wall. And that was probably uh, my worst moment, probably my lowest. Thank you for sharing that. With 96 days of sobriety, what's your plan moving forward, Chris? Continuing to be part of the online group, uh, Cafe Ari Blue. Yeah, just just reading, being an active participant, and helping others. I love it. And what's your favorite resource in recovery? It would be Cafe Ari Blue. That, that was the key this time around these last 96 days. That was the one thing I was, I was slacking on was opening up, getting out of my comfort zone, and talking with more, more people. It's yeah. been great. We cannot do this alone. And, and Chris, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice, this, and this is a shout-out to Jim Norton, who was on your podcast earlier, was oh, yeah. easier to stay sober than to get sober. That's one of them. Uh-huh. And his other one, which I, I've recently been trying to incorporate in my life more, is Rule 62. Don't take yourself too serious. Oh, those are two bombs right there. I love it. And uh, what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are in recovery or thinking about getting sober? Uh, do it. That's it. Just just go for it. Take your time. Find a community. Get comfortable. You know, find Find an avenue that you're comfortable with and just go for it. And Chris, before we depart, what's your customized You Might Be an Alcoholic gift line? If you have to burn yourself and put venomous frog poison on your skin to get sober, you might be an alcoholic. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I'll piggyback that one. If you have to go to Costa Rica uh, and yell tech support at the the top top of your lungs with no shirt and wearing bike shorts outside, you're definitely an alcoholic. Yeah, that was me. That was me. I love it, Chris. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks, Paul. Let me tell you a line I told my counselor the other day. I think I'm happy and it's uncomfortable. Just like I said earlier in the dialogue, we find comfort in our suffering or misery or whatever state of being we are. I'm in uncharted territory right now and I'm and I need the help of assistance, my counselors, I'm working with a spiritual coach. I'm happy and it's uncomfortable at times, but I'm blasting through it. I'm not going back. But just like I mentioned, that's why it's so hard for us to get out of these unconscious thoughts and states of beings. And if I can do it, guys, I know you can too. I was fighting a happy life, and I'm done fighting. Recovery Elevator, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this.